0: Good morning everyone. Um, today is our Vision Sunday and uh, what we do once or maybe twice a year is to look at some scripture, apply it to our own context and then sometimes talk a little bit more about what we think God is saying to us as a church here in Bristol for the next uh, season and we're going to do that today. Um, I'm going to do that by looking uh, at the story of Gideon in Judges chapter six the Old Testament. We're going to do that for a, a while, look at how God called Gideon, how God Um, spoke truth over Gideon, how God's choice of Gideon was unlike uh, our choice or a human choice, but actually the way that God chooses is different from how we make our choices. And then what we want to do after that is to look at um, something that God has said to us about uh, uh, the part of our vision that involves uh, sites, Um, the sites of City Church, of which there are three at the moment, and we look at how God might lead us to more sites across Bristol, to reach more of Bristol with the gospel of Jesus. So I'm going to start really by praying and then I'm going to read this passage in Judges chapter 6. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Uh, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love for us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we read this passage and we look at how you called Gideon to lead and to rescue this nation, I pray, Father, you would speak to us. Please speak to our hearts and minds. Please, Holy Spirit, come and uh, reach in. And Lord, you know each of us intimately. You know us well, Lord. You know what we need to hear. We know, you know how to apply these things to our lives. And I pray that that's what you would do um, as we read these things together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered how anyone ends up in a stained glass window depicted in those beautiful um, stained glass uh, images uh, around the country. Um, sometimes you look at them and you see uh, biblical characters, uh, sometimes not biblical characters, and, and maybe some inscriptions in Latin or something. I wonder how how does this guy, how does a person uh, go from just being a regular person, getting up in the morning, getting their breakfast, doing all the normal things of life, suddenly to find themselves as a stained glass image. How does that happen? Um, well, We're gonna look at the story of Gideon today and he would be one such uh, person, just a very ordinary person who ends up as a hero of the faith. And we actually read about Gideon as a hero of the faith, as it it were, a a prospective stained glass window character because we read about him in in God's list of heroes in Hebrews 11. And these are listed as heroes of faith, people who believed God against the odds, against their own weakness, against the, the backdrop of whatever was happening in the nation at the time, and led a people uh, through to a place of faith. And that's what Gideon does. So let's read this passage here in Judges 6 and see uh, this call of Gideon. So Judges 6, I'm beginning at verse 1 to verse 16. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and didn't spare a living thing from Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock, their tents swarmed, and they, they swarmed like locusts across the land. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazite. There his son Gideon was threshing wheat and a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why are all these, where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, De replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving nothing and no one alive. As you said, Gideon is one of these heroes uh, from Hebrews 11. He rescued um, Israel from the hands of the Midianites from this oppressive enemy. But like so many in that list in Hebrews 11, it's worth reading in your own time, He's not an obvious choice when we first meet him. And this is absolutely typical, um, almost universal of how God chooses men and women. In fact, he's a, a remarkable and surprising and maybe even a startling choice for the task uh, that is, needs to be done. In other words, Israel needs to be rescued from an oppressive enemy and here's the here's the sort of thing about the Midianites in this particular story is it seems that the Midianites had 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 kind of got a bit of a coup in as much as they had domesticated camels for war and this was the first time it would seem in this region that this had happened and it gave them a military advantage it meant they could sweep in and out of a context very quickly carrying lots of equipment um, and people um, and Uh, And they had the upper hand and they were winning considerably. And they were winning and the people were oppressed and they were hiding and the crops were being destroyed. And it was as if their enemies just had a free-for-all in Israel. And that was the task. And God uh, is looking for someone to take on this task of rescuing the nation from this oppressive, well-equipped, militarily advantaged enemy. Um, Now, if you were going to pick a team... Um, I wonder how you would go about it. Do you remember from school, and I certainly do, where it was time to pick teams? I've no idea if they still do this. It was always, it seems a little bit cruel. And so there's two team captains and they're picking from the lineup. And of course the sad part is always someone is left to last. But how do you go about picking the team? Um, How do you do it? What's the criteria for picking uh, someone for a task, whether it's a game or here, of course, something much more serious? Well, I... I would suggest, I'm in a short list of things that I might pick if I was being asked to, 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 come, uh, to put a team together to do something difficult. Um, a good track record of success. Yeah, who's good at this? <laughs> you know, who's done something like this before? Let's start with those people. We'll pick those people first um then you might think um okay someone with good uh, good mental abilities someone who's a good strategist somebody who thinks really clearly not with not not muddled thinking okay we we'll, we'll, we'll choose those as well um then those maybe with with good physical strength okay who looks like they who looks like they can take on the task, who looks like they can go the distance here who looks like they've got some resilience physically we'll pick those people who's and then maybe who's got a good positive mental attitude who's going to encourage the team as we go along we'll choose those people. And that's maybe how we would choose someone uh, for a task. That's certainly, I think, how I might go about it, I suppose. But in this story, God is looking for a leader who will gather a nation against impossible odds and rescue Israel from the Midianites. Um, And we do get something of a a CV for, for Gideon, because he talks about himself and we know the situation in the nation as well, so we, we we know some facts here, really. And and here are the things about Gideon, and why Gideon is not an obvious choice. He's not a brave man, it would seem. He's hiding from the Midianites to thresh corn, and we might, I suppose, in his um, defence, say, well, at least that was sort of ingenious. Except if you're hiding underground or in a hole in the ground in a wine press to uh, to thresh corn it doesn't really work, because in order to thresh corn, you sort of throw the corn in the air and the wind blows the chaff away and the uh, the grain falls back down. And so anyway, uh, so he's, he's not a brave man, it would seem. The story is, is telling us that. Um, maybe more serious than that is that he's a sceptical man, <laughs> because when, when uh, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says that, you know, we're going to beat the Midianites, what he says, his response is, oh, if you're really with us, if, this is, if any of this is even possible, then where are all the mighty things you've done in the past? It's just, it's ancient history. No one's heard of a move of God. Nothing. God's done nothing for us for generations. He's sceptical. He has lost any sense of expectation of God's presence, of God's intervention. He's lost the, the sight of God's sovereignty. He's sceptical. He is not full of faith that God is going to intervene and certainly that God would intervene using him. He's a skeptical man. Then there are the facts that we know for sure about the context. We know that Israel is overpowered. We know that Israel is outmaneuvered, that the Midianites have have won in that sense. Israel is is lacking the ability, it's lacking the skills, it's lacking the, the material for warfare that the Midianites had. We know that these are the facts. Um, and then he says these things about himself. He says, "Look, I, I've not had a promising upbringing. I'm not from a good clan, and actually, my family is the least amongst this clan." He's, he's basically he's this is this is his assessment of himself, um, and and uh, uh, that, those being the facts of who Gideon is and the state of the nation, God addresses him with two statements, and I want us to listen to these carefully. And on the surface, these two statements just seem wildly optimistic. God, you're being way too optimistic about Gideon here. Anyway, so the first thing we, again, we might be familiar if we know the story with this first statement, particularly, God is with you, mighty warrior, says God to Gideon. Uh, And then he says, go in the strength you have, or go in this strength of yours and save Israel. That's the angel of the Lord saying it to this man who's hiding from the enemy. And it's as if, in the story Gideon does this kind of classic comedy moment that uh, pardon me my lord says Gideon it's like he's looking over his shoulder thinking well who is the angel of the lord actually speaking to because he's obviously not speaking to me um <laughs> and and yet he and yet of course the lord is speaking to him now why do we do this you see this is the point at which we connect with this story because God asks us to do things and God asks us together corporate as a church to do things he asks lead us to do things. He asks us as believers to do things, to share our faith, to be generous, to be kind, to serve in his church, to bless our neighbours. He asks us to do things, to live a holy life before him and uh, those around us. And we so often it's so often the case that we do the same thing. We think, well, God's clearly not going to choose me. He clearly won't choose me. Um, and why do we do that? Why do we do a Gideon? When God asks something of us well I think we do a Gideon because we think we already know the kind of person God is looking for and it's like that first list we started like the pick the teams kind of list who's strong who's resilient who's mentally you know who who, who seems to have it all together we'll ask those people to do the job and, and because we think we already know the kind of person God is looking for and and, and we know we think we know it's clearly plainly obviously demonstrably it's not me it can't possibly be me. And that's often our response and that certainly is Gideon's response when God asks him to take on this task. But here's something we need to really grasp and if you've read the Bible um, and you've been around church for a while you've probably heard this before but I want us to get this into our soul deep within us as Christians, as believers, as City Church. The Bible consistently chooses those who are not obvious. (laughs) obvious. <laughs> and it takes the Bible takes great pains to tell us that they weren't obvious choices. And so if you look at at David or or, or Gideon himself or Jacob or Joseph or Moses or Ehud or pretty much all the disciples or the apostle Paul y- you find these were not obvious choices. They weren't the obvious pick. They weren't the first to be picked in the team. They were the outcast. They were the back of the line. They were the 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 son that was left out in the field. They were the, the kind of, uh, they, they were the, 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 un, the unfavorable son, as it were. They were, yeah, the, the, the idiot uh, teenager who's boasting to his brothers. These are not obvious choices. What we read in 1 Samuel is this very famous verse that says, people look at the outward appearance, what God looks at, the heart. The way God assesses us is very different from how we assess one another and even as we see here with Gideon how you assess yourself. God, has, God is a good father. A father believes more about their children than their children believe about themselves and, and leads them into that faith-filled, joy-filled, productive future because he believes more than they believe and that's what's happening here as God is calling see God doesn't work to our limitations he's not well you know he could only achieve that because you know well you know he's not very smart or yeah you know he's just uh he's <laughs> like a bit like with Timothy you know he's subject to you know he's he's a bit of a weak person you know physically so we probably can't work with him and he's not restricted by our failings and weaknesses because it is he that works and we need to grasp that as well. It is He that works. And that's the, a, a central pillar of this story, that it is God who works. Now, He uses us gloriously, and He includes us in His plans. But it's His energy and power that works through us. That is for sure. And when we, when we know our own limitations, when we're not afraid of them, and we don't just discount ourselves because of them, and like Paul, who says, I'll boast in my weakness, because it emphasises God's goodness and strength all the more. What do we find? Well, we find it, it reminds us of our need for help. You see, when, I, when I'm honest about the fact that you know, <laughs> I need help, <laughs> then I go to God for help. I'm not this self-sufficient person. And of course, that leads on to being prideful, which is the sin beneath all the other sins. Oh, I can do this. I've got this. It's all sorted. No, I need help. I need help from God. I need help from one another's, from one another. So that kind of uh, assessment of myself that doesn't just play out that I'm just this great, wonderful person, but recognises and honest about the failings. Um, Some of us are not good at that either. Some of us feel as if I have to project this image of strength and resilience and faith, because if people really knew the truth, no one would ever choose me for anything. And that's not this story and it's not the truth. We can be exactly who we are and God can still use us. And it's not sort of in spite of ourselves, it's probably because of our weaknesses because it means his, his power is at work because we would humbly then ask for outside assistance from God himself by the Holy Spirit, from our brothers and sisters around us, for those who've gone before. That's important. Ultimately, of course, it brings glory to God you know, when, it's, when someone who looks like they're going to win, wins, then they often get the glory. When someone really looks as if this is, there's no way this person can do this, God intervenes and like, wow, God is good. Because we know it's not that person who, who, uh, who, who achieved that on their own. Um, and what that means is, with absolute certainty, both from that story and from what we've seen from others in the Bible, that God can use you and me. In fact, he delights to use you and me. And how did God therefore deal with this weak, sceptical man, Gideon? How did God deal with him? What happened that that meant Gideon went from being just someone hiding away from the enemy to someone who was taking on the enemy and leading others to do it? What, What happened? Or well, three things. Let's just look at these three things. God met with him. The angel of the Lord met with him. He encountered God. Just, I cannot overemphasise the importance of spending time in the presence of God. And not just corporately. Now, it's wonderful we do that, and we do that on Sundays, and we, we do that when we meet together to pray and worship uh, 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 once a month back here, back in the Umgrove. And that's, that's really important. But it's so important that we do that on our own. Now we all need to hear that. Leaders, non-leaders, elders, we all need to hear it. The enemy would snatch this away from us so quickly. Gideon met with the Lord, he encountered God. He was in the presence of God. Um, and we can be too. Even, the, the access we have to God's presence is far more than Gideon did. We can come right to him because of what Jesus has done. We can come right to his presence. I just want to encourage us to carve time to spend in the presence of God, to worship him, to read his words, to allow him to speak to us by his Holy Spirit. Gideon met with God. God spoke faith over Gideon. We heard those two statements. God is with you, mighty warrior. Who, me? Yes. He spoke faith over him. He spoke truth over him. He said, go in this strength of yours and rescue the Midianites, I rescue Israel from the Midianites. And the third thing that um, God did was he expected obedience from him. He didn't sort of wait, he was like, well, just wait until, let's build up your self-confidence a bit, Gideon, let's, uh," no, just, he was expecting him to be obedient. He, He was encouraging faith, but he didn't expect Gideon to be all sorted, didn't expect him to just, for everything else in his life to go really well in order that he could then serve God just said, just do what I'm asking you to do. Those three things, God met with him, God spoke faith over him, and God expected obedience from him. The battle of faith was the acceptance of that first statement that the angel of the Lord made, the Lord is with you. (laughs) The Lord is with you. And we need to hear that for ourselves. And the first thing Uh, that that does for us is it it reminds us again of our need for help. It it, it keeps us humble. If I need the Lord to be with me, I need, I can't do this on my own. It's an acceptance of the fact that I need help. I need help, Lord. I do need help. And uh, it's, as I said, it doesn't require therapy to improve your self-image, although that could be useful, I suppose, along the way. It's just simple acceptance of God's statement. God is with you to feel it, to receive it, to learn to receive power in the presence of God. And then he received the promises of God. I'm with you, says the Lord. It, so many times, he says it, so many times he makes this statement again and again, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I am with you. You can't do it on your own, but you're not on your own. <laughs> you, I know you need help, but I'm here to help you. Um, I know you lack, but I have everything that you need. That's God's uh, way of dealing with us and the way God dealt with uh, with Gideon over the Midianites. And then of course the obedience to God's instruction. Combining those things. God is with us so I can do whatever he asks. (laughs) I believe he's with me so I'm going to (laughs) try. I believe he's with me so I'm going to try. And that's an important thing for us to grasp. For some of us it's going to be, the important thing here is the assurance of that fact that you are not alone and lost in a cruel world. And uh, Midian discovers that when the Lord appears to him. We can discover that as we come into his presence and realise Jesus has given himself for us. Realise that he's promised never to leave us, that he's sent his spirit to dwell within us, both individually and corporately together. You are not alone and lost. God is with you and you just have to ask him, you just have to turn to him. You just have to agree with his assessment of you when he says you're a son and you're a daughter. You can come in repentance of faith and join a family, become part of a kingdom that will never spoil or fade. You can have an inheritance uh, that goes beyond the grave. All these things are there for us to accept and believe as, uh, as we can as, as Gideon was beginning to understand. And for others, it is just an obedience thing. You know, you know God's with you. you you've, 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 you've fought that battle, you, you're aware of that, you, mm-hmm. you enjoy God's presence. And now it's just, now just do what he's telling you to do. Just, you know, do what, what is he asking of you? What faith-filled activity is he asking of you? And, of course, we do that in the context of community. We talk to one another, we get help, as we said, uh, but we continue on to do what he's asking us. And then finally, for us corporately, do we know and accept his promise that the the very gates of hell will not resist the onward march of the church? Are we willing to be obedient and follow him and do what he's asking of us? Now, now Gideon uh, does, in fact, win the battle against the Midianites. But he, he also does it in the midst of his own doubts and failings. He, he doesn't even, even when he begins to win, he still has doubts and failings. He still has to come back to God for help. And God graciously gives him reassurances and strengthens him as he goes along. And he can read that in the rest of the story. Now, what about us? That's, that's fine for Gideon. It's great that the Midianites were kicked out and God's people uh, got their land back. That's <laughs> great. But what about us? What about Bristol, 2000, uh, 2023, 2024? What is God asking of us? Well, here's something I want to just add, because uh, uh, about a uh, well, about a year ago or so, I was with um, some church leaders that are not part of our immediate group, not people who knew City Church very well. Um, and I was in a worship context, and we had some time set aside to worship and to pray for one another and prophesy over one another. And um as I was in that context and just enjoying the presence of God, I started to think about us as City Church and just imagine our sites, our three sites across the city. And I started to imagine um, speaking to the elders about aiming to be five sites, and in fact, five sites of 200 each. What would it mean if we were five sites of 200 in the city? What would that mean for us? How would we, how would it work? <laughs> how, how would we have the right leaders in place, the right infrastructure the right finances to do all of those things and believe you me five sites is is a very different animal than three Uh, much more challenging and complex and expensive than doing three but what would it be like i started to imagine this and um in my head it was all internalized um how and, and how might it go if i were to say that to our elders you know if i were to just get the elders and leaders together and say i think this is what we should aim for how would that go and as I said, all that was internal. I hadn't spoken to anyone about it, and no one knew our church terribly well in that context. And just as I was doing that, someone came up to me, someone I actually knew, put his hand on my shoulder and says, God says to you, five times five. And I'm like, oh wow, how think God is speaking to us about this. And it was as if God was saying, and I don't think he meant 25 sites, but I think a bit like when Jesus um, uh, and the disciples had a discussion about forgiveness and they said, should we forgive seven times? thinking that was a big number. And Jesus said, no, no, 70 times seven. And I think it was a bit like that as God was speaking to us saying, yes, five and then multiply. That's how the kingdom of God sort of works. And I felt as if that was something for us. And I I did in fact come back and share all that with what I thought was quite a remarkable moment. It's hard to translate the sense of God in the moment, um, but I'm trying to explain to you that that was quite a remarkable moment. Um, that that's what God was asking of us and so what I want to set before you today is that for City Church our aim in terms of the sites of City Church wouldn't just be three but would be five Um, that we would aim to be five sites and those sites will be healthy and strong that those sites will be preaching the gospel and serving their communities and reaching out to different parts of this great city and that might take us a while and we might look at it and some of us might look at it and think, well that's an, Im- that's an impossible task. Yeah, it's certainly a difficult one, we definitely need help, but God has set some things before us that we need to raise with faith, we need to aim at. Um, lots of things will have to change in the next years if we're going to get to that place. Lots of challenges, lots of faith goals for each of us personally and of course all together as a church, but that's where I want to set your minds and hearts. So I want to ask you to bring that back to the Lord, to ask God, what is it that I could do to contribute towards being a a church that reaches further across this city, that reaches deeper into the challenging areas of this city, so that we'd be five sites, 200 each, and then who knows what God would do with us. And and that's probably generations into the future as well. How would this church spread forward beyond just the immediacy of those of us who are here serving now, but into the future, that God will multiply out to other cities and nations beyond ourselves, taking the resources that God has given us, like that great church in Antioch, and sending them out across the world to preach the good news of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you speak to us. I think you speak to us through your word and by your spirit, and I I pray as we've shared how you called Gideon, how you empowered him, how your presence and your promises to him has such an effect on a weak man, um, someone who wasn't promising. And I pray for us individually again and corporately that as you speak to us and say, what about this? How about this? Uh, How about five sites? How about thinking about yourselves as a a greater resource for the kingdom of God than you've been up to now? I pray you'd fill us with faith too, that we would hear your voice and we'd receive your presence and you would lead us into the future with confidence and joy and faith, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.